you know the name. You're going to look at pizza differently after hanging out with Chris Bianco. Chris is the Coltrane of pizza. This guy remade the game. Chris skyrocketed to fame when his pizza became world-renowned, making Phoenix an unexpected go-to destination for foodies worldwide. He was the first pizza maker ever to win the James Beard Award for Best Chef Southwest back in 2003. For those who don't know, this award is the cooking world's equivalent of an Oscar. Chris is often referred to as the father of the modern pizza movement. 20 years later, he's still winning awards. As recently as last year, Chris collected another James Beard Award. But what makes his pizzas so good? Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic about Metro Phoenix and beyond. I'm intern producer Logan Stanley. For the past month, I've traveled the state visiting the farmers who work with Chris Bianco, and in doing so, discovered just how rich Arizona's agriculture industry is. So, back to our question, what makes Chris Bianco's pizzas so delicious? It all comes down to the basic ingredients in all pizzas, flour, cheese, tomatoes, and other vegetables. Turns out, Arizona provides all those components. Now, you'll be forgiven if, like me, you thought that Arizona was a dry, barren environment where only the hardiest of plants, animals, and people survive. And a side note here, I'm originally from Northern California, so my mental picture of the Southwest was very much like the rocky landscapes from the Roadrunner and Caddy episode of Looney Tunes. Meep, meep. The thing is, that's not true at all. Two weeks ago, we examined how Arizona is a pivotal player in the chili pepper industry on this podcast. The state has a lot more to offer beyond chili peppers. I think that like we are the brand, the, the farm that people think of for regenerative agriculture in the American Southwest. This is Dax Hansen. He owns Oatman Flats Ranch and the food company Oatman Farms. And that means something to me, right? Because we're, we're about solutions more than we're about just even making money. And, and so I think we, we've garnered a lot of respect. And that hasn't necessarily translated into financial success, but it translates into me sleeping well at night. I took a road trip to visit Dax at his 665-acre farm in southwestern Arizona. Okay, I have just arrived to Oatman Farms out in Gila Bend in Arizona. Drove about two hours from my apartment in North Phoenix, so it's quite the drive. acclaimed Netflix series Chef's Table did an episode focused on Chris Bianco in 2021. The first location visited in the show is Hanson's Farm. Oatman Flats Ranch has been in my family since about 1955 in the Hanson family, but it is one of Arizona's and actually the whole West's uh, more historic ranches and farms. People have been living here for thousands of years, actually, from the indigenous people the Spanish have recorded um, stopping here, spending time here, and the Mexican people and uh, the homesteaders as well as some of Arizona's earliest uh, cattlemen and, and farmers. 
My family's been on this land for approximately 70 years. And uh, so my grandpa was one of the earliest cotton farmers in Arizona. And uh, when he and my grandma passed, my aunts and uncles ran it as best they, they could. But I'll just say farming's a difficult uh, profession. And it, with climate change and aridification, it just became really difficult to farm. It was in 2018 when Dax took over the farm from his family. The farm was not looking good, to say the least. The land was pretty sterile. I mean, not fully sterile, but it had been fallowed for a number of years. The good side of that is that it was easy to get it certified organic. There weren't any chemicals or no residue from that. But all the infrastructure on the, the farm was in pretty rough shape. The, the canals were full of dirt and broken. There were trees in the fields. There was no equipment. The house was really unhabitable. And so we had to rebuild everything from scratch. There was a ton of work to be done when Hansen first took over with the land nearly dead. Well, the first thing I needed to do was just to find a crop that could grow with less water. I mean, so Open Flats Ranch is 665 acres of land, but with uh, really we had like a 20, we had like a 23 year drought and aridification, desertification, growing alfalfa or cotton, which my grandpa farmed for, was just not in the cards anymore. And so I had to find crops that maybe have an indigenous history, like go back to the ethnobotany and look forward to what climate change is likely to deal us. Luckily for Dax, the area the farm is located in is a perfect spot for growing low water grains like white Sonoran wheat. Considering the historical context of the area, wheat was an easy choice. Oban Flats Ranch is situated about 30 miles west of Gila Bend in the Sonoran Desert region. It's at this really interesting juncture where the Gila River uh, comes south out of Phoenix area and then west towards San Diego. And that's where people have been traveling, traversing a lot of civilization here for a very, very long time. About 300 years ago, the Spanish brought wheat up to this region and also olives and spices like black pepper and cinnamon. We think they're indigenous, but like they're not. White Sonora was one of those. And, and it just has had time to get used to our climate and our water and our soil. It's a soft white wheat. Um, it doesn't have a strong gluten uh, to it, but it's light colored. It makes amazing tortillas. And so the, the Native Americans and the, the, the Mexicans just embraced that variety of wheat and became part of Sonoran cuisine. Panole, the, the Native Americans like roast these wheats and, and like grind them up and it was brought out of obscurity about 15 years ago by uh, Professor Gary Nabhan and Chris Bianco and Jeff Zimmerman and a number of other players here in in Arizona to bring back a heritage variety of, of wheat and now it's widely commercially available and so farms like me can, can grow a lot of it. While selecting a crop was important for Dax, so was maintaining the health and the future of the farm as a whole. That's why he has turned Oatman Flats Ranch into a regenerative, organic, certified farm. But what does that mean exactly? I'll let Dax explain. I mean, most of agriculture, I'd say, is fairly extractive. It, the idea is like to use the resources 
in the land, the water to grow a crop. And so regenerative agriculture just recognizes that like a lot of our topsoil is depleted, a lot of the land is fairly barren, and that we need to rebuild all of the ecosystems. It includes things like keeping the ground covered so that it doesn't get scorched and burned out, not tilling the ground or minimizing the tilling, increasing biodiversity, and regenerative organic certification, which is a, a, a higher level of certification beyond organic, has a number of very specific requirements for what it means to be regenerative. Dax says they are the first farm to adopt this regenerative method. He wants to be a model for farms in other climates similar to Arizona's. Open Flats Ranch has been a magnet for people who are trying to figure out a farming business model for hotter, drier climates and people who just are embracing regenerative practices. So we, we get lots of people out here. That same day, Will Green, a policy advisor for Governor Hobbs, and Paul Byerly, the new director of agriculture in Arizona, are also visiting their ranch. But I will say that there are some farmers like the Vanderharts who have also been instrumental in helping build the grain economy in Arizona, where they have invested in building grain cleaning and grain storage facilities that we use. There's about you know, 10,000 acres worth of other farmers in this region who have come together and had meetings here at Oatman Flats Ranch to just discuss like what they want, what they need, to sort of observe what we're doing here and give their support and also maybe a little skepticism. They're, they're assessing whether Oatman Flats Ranch is gonna survive. And if we survive, I think there's a real interest and willingness to participate further. If we crash and burn, then, you know, the, we've lost credibility. So it's important for us to survive and to re just recognize that I think that all farmers in Arizona are trying to do the right thing. And we just all have slightly different ground and different dynamics and pressures that we're trying to juggle. But I'm a big fan of farmer statewide. My belief is that we, we need to find a better solution that allows for farmers to get more of the food dollar. Right now, farmers get about seven cents out of every food dollar. And some of the crops that have markets developed for them actually use a lot of water. It's, to me, it's like low value crops, too much water, like we got a shift. I just feel like this place, Oatman Flats Ranch, because it has so much history tied to it, uh, is a wonderful place to try to save and to develop a, a model for that can be replicated. Ironically enough, it was actually in the Pacific Northwest, which is where Dax splits his time living, and not the Southwest, where he first got connected with Chris Bianco. One of the mills, Cantering Mills, that I have worked with up in, in Washington State uh, introduced me to, to Chris, and when I had an idea that I could help focus on the grain economy in Arizona, I just invited him down to my ranch. I wanted to make him a, a pancake, the a pancake mix was a white snore wheat and, and the mesquite bean flour. And he drove down with um, Kevin Morris from Cantering Mills and we, I cooked him these pancakes over a mesquite fire grill outside my farm. And, you know, Chris is like, the true like chef and culinary genius. And so he saw the beautiful red color of these pancakes and 
And he said I was onto something, right? So he's just been a, a supporter of you know my journey to try to bring more infrastructure, more flavors, more grains, more infrastructure to the region. And uh, so when Netflix decided to showcase his life and in, in his career and with pizza, he invited me to be one of the vendors that works with him to to be profiled. And he came down and we milled flour and made some products here at at Omen Flats Ranch. If if you watch the Chef's Table episode on Chris, his wife just says that it keeps him awake at night if he's worrying about like other people, like and and how how they feel. And so Chris has just a big heart and, and he saw what I was trying to do. I think he respected the fact that I didn't need to be doing this. Like this is actually financially a challenge for uh, for me. I am a full-time lawyer, so it's a big time commitment and monetary commitment to try to do this. And I think he just respected the fact that I was pushing in the same direction he was, like that we both love Arizona and we love Arizona farmers and we love the flavors. At the moment, Dax doesn't actually supply the flour for Bianca's pizza. The flour comes from a mixture of sources. White Sonoran wheat is a little too hard for the pizza at Bianco's. Right now, Dax and Chris are working on finding the perfect blend of Arizona wheat for the pizza. Chris Bianco was one of the people who brought White Sonora wheat out of obscurity. Chris uh, has wanted to have a local grain economy, more products available for him and others to use. And so He's been a real fan and supporter of me trying to bring more varieties to market, to try to build build the infrastructure out. And we're still on a bit of a of a journey to like dial that in for fully, you know, have Arizona grain work perfectly for um for pizza. Nonetheless, Dax still works closely with Chris and his family. Marco Bianco, Chris's brother, is using Dax's wheat to test things out. He constantly communicates with Dax on ideas and theories, often leaving him long audio messages filled with his thoughts. Okay, Dax, Marco Bianco, how are you? Long time no see. So I wanted to really kind of evaluate this better. So like we were talking before, that since this has, it's mostly red fife and a little bit of Sonora, We all love a good crust in our pizza, but nothing beats a nice cheese pull, that ooey, gooey, long piece of cheese that stretches off the pizza as you take a bite. It takes about, oh, about five minutes of milking time to milk one, and then they're given about half a gallon a day. This is Wendell Crow, a dairy farmer based in Buckeye. I met up with Wendell at his farm as he's in the process of milking his goats. Wendell is one of the people who supplies cheese to Bianco's restaurants. Farming has been in Crow's family for generations now. Wendell himself started when he was 12 years old, after his father tasked him with finding an older worker who refused to do a task. My uh, granddad came to Arizona and he started milking cows around 1919. My mom was the youngest of 11 and my dad ended up inheriting the dairy from from them. He was the son-in-law. And then we dairied up in uh, Prescott and Chino Valley for uh, probably about 15 years, we had a processing plant up there. Shamrock bought us out up there and we moved to Phoenix. Shamrock Farms is the biggest family-owned dairy in the Southwest. The company was started in 1922 by Irish immigrant W.T. McClellan 
and his wife Winifred in Tucson. Now, the company ships its dairy products nationwide. And we produce milk for Shamrock down here for probably another 35 years. We sold cow milk. And then uh, it got to where we could tell we weren't going to make it. Small dairies just can't make it anymore. We were milking 500 head. And I think now you need to milk about 9,000 head in Arizona to, to make any money. And they probably aren't. Who knows? It's really tough. The times became too tough, and eventually the Crow family had to stop milking cows. The farm was sold in 2006. It was a turning point in Wendell's life, and he needed some time to think. So he took a hiatus from dairy farming. In that time, Wendell and his wife, Rhonda, traveled around the country. We took two years off. We did cheese vacations on the east and west coast. We went to cow and goat dairies. We found the ones we liked the most. We ended up uh, doing the uh, goats. We thought that was the the best route for us. You may be wondering at this point, why goats? Well, there's an exact reason for that. Goats do really well in the desert, especially Nubians. They're an African breed. They have the long ears for cooling off. Uh, we don't have any parasites any like they do in the back east and everywhere else. They have grubs and worms. It's too hot. It cooks everything out in the summer. So it actually helps on that. I don't have to deworm my animals. I don't vaccinate my animals. I don't use any antibiotics. It's just really a healthy, dry climate for people and and animals. And then when we had the cows, uh, they were a little more susceptible to the heat. And so the the three months out of the year that was bad, they were under shades and coolers. So it's really nice for them. So it's a good place for dairying. Crow's dairy started with 17 goats. Now they are milking 220 a day. The eventual business relationship between Wendell and Chris began in a rather unusual way, with Wendell as a fan of Chris's pizza. Uh, one of my friends, Sydney, said, you got to go to this pizza place, it's the best. And we went there and says, well, we got to take cards because there's a line. And so we'd get a couple drinks over at Bar Bianco next door. Uh, we would play cards out there on a picnic table for a couple hours and then go eat. So it's a fantastic place. I've always loved it. And then uh, we decided to make the cheese. And we're like, well, first one we got to try to get is Bianco, you know. And it was him and I think it might have been uh, Tarbell, one of them. It was like the first two guys. And they found us at a farm market. And he's like, come by, I want to I wanna use your cheese. It was at that fateful farmer's market that everything changed for Wendell. We were selling cheese there. That would have been, man, probably 14 years ago, probably. He said, come on over, and we went to his restaurant. He wanted to talk to us about buying cheese. My son-in-law, Eric, and I, we thought maybe it would be like a 10-minute meeting. And we ended up probably him telling us food vision for probably an hour and a half. I never knew anyone like that existed, you know. I was like, wow, he got me excited about food. (laughs) I was like, wow, dude, you can do it. He can. Yeah, uh, just a, a, his own way of describing it, like food is magical, you know. Over the years, Bianco has helped Crow's Dairy grow as a company, even pitching in on his own. Oh, uh, he's always trying to. He's, uh, just recently, he told me, 
If you want to start making mozzarella, he says, I'll, I'll sell every drop you can make. So he, he comes up with the ideas even. So he's fantastic with us. A relationship has blossomed, one that still lasts to this day. Wendell currently supplies Bianco with Chev, which is another name for goat cheese. Bianco has made a cheese curd pizza with Wendell's product in the past. Wendell also supplies Bianco's other restaurant, Trotto, with his goat cheese for other dishes. Wendell's cheese has become well known across the state as he serves 110 other restaurants as well. And who knows, maybe the next time you head out to a restaurant, you just might taste a piece of Wendell's farm. Crust and cheese are undeniably important to a tasty pizza pizza. Some may argue that toppings are just as important though. My name is Sean McClendon, just turned 51 and one of the owners of McClendon Select. Sean and his father Bob are in charge of McClendon Select, an organic farm on 25 acres out in Peoria. They also run a farm in Goodyear and it's entirely family run. Sean and I connected over Zoom. We started the farm back in 1975. It was, you know, started really just with citrus back then and then went into vegetables later on. We always actually had acreage and property that uh, we grew things on vegetable-wise. We also had horses and cattle, so kind of grew up with that. And then around 2000, we started to transition into organic. And then basically 2005, we were then uh, certified organic. While farming has been a part of Sean's life from the very beginning, it wasn't until later on that he began to take an actual role in helping McClendon select. His father, Bob, was the former pharmacy director at St. Joseph's Hospital in Phoenix. He was a chemist and utilized these skills for other things, like starting a small vegetable garden. But Bob was too good of a chemist. The garden became too bountiful, and an ultimatum was set by his wife, Marsha. My mom was like, look, you have way too many vegetables. You need to go sell these. We can't just give them away. You know, it's, it's just getting out of control. So it was either, you know, he moved out or he would take it to the farmer's market, and that's exactly what he did. Thus, McClendon Select was born. When Sean came on when he was 37 years old, the business was modernized. My dad was actually taking orders and writing them on, handwriting them on a, a whiteboard. At the time that I came in on board, um, we had no inventory whatsoever. And was, you know, it was just not a good way to do business. Since then, I have a whole inventory management system. I have um, a whole pick system that we used. And it's all based on iPads, really. And it got enough attention that actually Apple did a, a spotlight on us back in the early days of the iPad. We are a certified organic farm, which means that we grow without synthetic chemicals and pesticides. It's a very different business today than it was when we started, and much of that difference is attributable to the iPad. The iPad has brought amazing changes and improvements to our business. I, I did that, and now literally everything is, is, is in-house software that I, that I designed with the help of a software developer, which we kind of have to do with um, our organic certification, our food safety certification. It's, it's a big deal, and to be able to, you have kind of have to write custom software just to keep track of it all. While Oatman Flats Ranch and Crow's Dairy have a special relationship with Chris Bianco, 
McClennan Select owes their continued existence to Chris Bianco. I would say that the main reason that we actually have a business right now is because of Chris Bianco. We first started out with a kind of a, I would say, a small vegetable garden that my dad had. And he basically set up with a few tables a long time ago at, at Town & Country at 20th Street in Camelback when they had a farmer's market there uh, under the roof there and had a few tables that were set up. And, and it was because of Chris Bianco, he actually, you know, went to those farmer's market to buy produce and he saw the quality of produce there that we had and, and started buying from us and liked it so much that then, you know, he told his chef friends as well. And that kind of really started our restaurant business. And because of him is why we're in business today, really. We are here to support his operation in any way we can. You know, he'll have special requests and, and we do drop everything. We really bend over backwards to make sure that his restaurants are supplied with the product that they need because they are so busy and, and they rely on us. That's that's the whole thing is that, you know, restaurants are open all the time and they need to rely on a purveyor and you have to deliver. And that's what we do. And we will do everything if, if for some reason there's a mistake or some reason um, there's ever an issue, we always make it right. And I think that's the difference between us and, and other companies. So, what kind of produce can you buy from McClendon's? The answer is a lot. All growing right here in the good old Sonoran Desert. Depends on the time of year. Basically, wintertime, Tuscan kale, celery, broccoli, uh, rainbow chard, spigarello, which is Italian braising green, broccolini, just to name a few. Depends on the time of year. Summertime, have eggplant, watermelon, basil, heirloom tomatoes and uh, extensive variety of peppers that we're growing, summer squashes and uh, cucumbers. It's just, yeah, there's just a lot going on all the time. Outside of Chris Bianco's restaurants, McClendon's also works with high-end places in Sedona and Flagstaff as well. But you don't have to sell an arm or a leg or wait for hours in the Phoenix sun in order to try produce from McClendon's. Each weekend, they're at the Uptown Phoenix Farmer's Market. So, next time you make a trip uptown, you can stop by the McClendon booth to get a taste of what one Arizona's best chefs considers the best veggies in the state. By now, I hope you're thinking of Arizona as more than just a desert. We've learned that some of the world's best wheat is produced in Gila Bend. We know that Nubian goats with their long ears do well in the heat and churn out top quality cheese and buckeye. And out in Peoria, high quality veggies and fruits are being grown. But there's another part of Arizona we haven't explored yet. I don't think that they realize how much produce comes from Arizona. And when I speak of Arizona, I mean, you know, down in Yuma, it literally is the salad bowl of the world, really, in, in the wintertime. And I don't think people realize that. We, we do. There's a lot of growers here that, that are larger growers than us and that, that grow uh, a lot of things here. It's a, it's a great climate. We have a really long growing season where it's 180 degrees from the rest of the country. But it's, it's extremely important to the food supply of our nation. And don't think a lot of people know where their food comes from. I think they go to the grocery store and they, they just buy produce and it's always there, seems to be, um, and regardless of season. According to the Yuma Fresh Vegetable Association, 90% of the nation's leafy greens are grown in Yuma from October to April. There's something threatening that though, water or a lack of it. The issue of water 
is, well, a big issue here in Arizona. Earlier this month, state officials made the decision to stop developers from constructing new subdivisions. Why? Because the state has determined there's not enough groundwater to meet the incoming demands. When I spoke to Dax, Wendell, and Sean, it was clear that water is on their minds. Water is always a concern, and um, I, that's for any farmer out there, and especially in Arizona, where water is so scarce, and there is millions of people that are living here now and they need water and so it's a delicate balance between cities, municipalities, the homeowners, you know, needing water and also the farms. Because of this, McClendon Select only uses drip irrigation for its crops, watering directly where the plant needs it and nowhere else. I think a lot of people don't think we have water, that it's, a, it's just a desert, but unlike California, uh, we save all of our water. We don't let it run out down the river, out into the ocean, and we save every drop. We've always been fantastic at doing that, and it just it makes all the difference in the world. Um, uh, California and us get water out of the Colorado River. There's a battle going on over the Colorado River as our state, six others, and many tribes vie for water allocation. At Oatman Flats Ranch, Dax isn't as concerned about that since he sources his water from his own wells on the farm. Still, he's worried about the looming prospect of there being less and less water. I am very concerned about our groundwater in the state. And uh, as you read in the, the press, like we got a major groundwater crisis too. So yes, I think that water, wherever it's coming from, should be a concern of all farmers and all residents who live here, right? And people who manufacture here. Like, water is our most pressing issue. Right now, despite living in a desert, we can get some really good produce. That just may be in jeopardy, though. With minds like the people who are featured on this episode, there is hope as the collective brain powers try to come up with more innovative ways to be sustainable to help keep Arizona's agriculture scene thriving, pushing it to new levels not seen before. A few days before the recording of this podcast, I heard back from the man himself, and we talked over the phone. Hey Chris, it's Logan. How you doing? Logan, what's happening, bud? Let me get out of the kitchen. Even though it's been over 30 years since he first opened up in Arizona, Chris remembers those early days like it was yesterday. And by the time I opened in, 80, in 88, it was more of a tell me what you have kind of thing. And that's how we started using things like pistachios because they're in the southern part of the state. There was pistachio growers, there's pecan growers. And I met a lady that down by South Mountain, Bernice the basil lady, this is in the 80s, and she would grow basil and arugula for us. And you started to understand there were, there were people in parts of the valley that understood their own little, almost little microclimates. Like I remember... There was a woman, uh, her last name was, it was Louise Bell, I remember her name was. She was, you know, a backyard grower, and she used to grow, you know, raspberries as big as your thumb. They were amazing. Blackberries, I'm sorry, blackberries. She came in once, I would drive out there and get pints of these blackberries from her backyard, and uh, they, were, they were gifts, and I think that those, that's how I saw this place. I think, uh, I would say the desert seems empty until you lay down in it, and then you're covered with 
life, whether it's ants or, or, or cactus needles or, or, or dusty, dusty road or whatever. This, it's all perspective. You start to see things differently. You don't see things empty. They just, they're, they're full of different things. They're nocturnal or there's, you know, different seasons or, and I find that there's something good everywhere I've been in my life. And definitely true in the desert. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Valley 101. Special thanks to all the farmers who made the time to speak with us for the story. This episode was produced by me with editorial help from Kelly Monahan, Amanda Luberto, and Kathy Tulamello. Today's scoring came from Universal Production Music, additional audio from Netflix. You can stay up to date on Valley 101 and all other Arizona Republic podcasts and Twitter and Instagram at AZC Podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, and please share with a friend. Next week. The Arizona Diamondbacks are in first place as the All-Star break quickly approaches, but can they maintain their lead? Valley 101 is an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com production. I'm in here producer Logan Stanley. See you next week.